Hello and welcome to Your Magic. We are in the midst of a special round of episodes featuring interviews with parents, abortion rights activists, and one very special sperm donor, all to celebrate the publication of my latest book, Knocking Myself Up. It's about how I started to try to get pregnant at the age of 40 with no partner or healthcare and all the hijinks that came afterwards. Look for it wherever you get your books. Today, I'm talking to Jex Blackmore, satanic abortion rights activist, ritual performance artist, and community organizer. We're going to talk about the performative nature of religion, guerrilla information campaigns, the ritualistic aspects of having an abortion, and a bunch more. And also, if you want to help support making this podcast, check out patreon.com backslash this is your magic, where you can get all sorts of perks, a monthly tarot reading based on your zodiac in the phases of the moon, tarot workshops where we dive deep into a single card, that sort of thing. We make this podcast as a labor of love and appreciate all of you for supporting us. And if you're looking to front like the witch that you are, let your magic merchandise help you. We've got incredible new elemental t-shirts, plus a bunch of low-key dad hats. You can peep them at thisisyourmagic.com backslash shop. Okay, now let's get on with the show. So for decades now, all talk about removing the right to abortion in this country has come from Christians. Never mind that tons of people identify as Christians in some capacity and are pro the right to safe and legal abortions. I'm thinking about my mom here who's basically been driven out of the Catholic Church due to her divorce and her remarriage and her support of queer people and her belief in abortion. Then there are also people whose legitimate spiritual beliefs, religious beliefs, entitle them access to abortion, like the Jewish temple suing the state of Florida on the grounds that the new anti-abortion legislation violates Jewish belief in the necessity of abortion to protect the mental and physical health of the pregnant person. Likewise, the satanic temple is suing Texas, overtly referring to abortion as a ritual. I really, really love this. I love any and all fights for total reproductive freedom, whatever your grounds, whatever your mode of attack. But there is something especially beautiful and satisfying to me about religious organizations going after these oppressive new rulings, because as we know, the fight to take away abortion has been almost entirely fought by people claiming a spiritual high ground, by people claiming to actually know all sorts of things about the mystery of life, things that just can't be fucking known, right? And here we all are, being forced to have our very crucial freedom curtailed, and it doesn't matter if we agree with the religious decrees that undergird these political decisions. Ugh, my Sagstellium is so inflamed right now. As a witch, I don't know when life, quote, begins in a pregnant person's body. And I actually don't really care. As a witch, I believe that life is enormous and full of mystery and requires you to make difficult choices sometimes. Many pagan and folk magic traditions see crossroads as sacred spaces where spells performed can have heightened potency because it's a liminal space, magic in between, where a choice has to be made. Perhaps a whole new thread of the multiverse is going to snap into being, bisecting the moment into the road taken and the road not. Maybe it's just powerful because it honors how we are in control of so much of our destinies, that we are here to make choices and build our lives. Sometimes a person needs to end a growing potential life in order to preserve an existing one. Preserve its health or its financial stability. Preserve its ability to grow and move forward. Dreams are powerful and crucial, and many abortions occur so that hope for a better or different kind of life can be preserved. I really believe that people with occult or magic practices are in a very beautiful place to honor and hold abortion as a sacred practice. 
the possibility or even the existence of life is sacrificed for something more. Sacrifices are often painful and abortions can be rough on those going through them. If not emotionally, then physically, socially, culturally. Imagine having practitioners who offer service and ritual around abortion, both as a doula-style abortion buddy who holds your hand, provides you with knowledge, and helps you advocate for yourself, and as priestesses who mark the moment, who acknowledge it via a rowdy celebration of life and power, sexuality and fertility, and or as a more somber ritual that honors the grief and anguish a person may be experiencing. Regardless of the tone of such rituals, marking the crossroads a person has just passed through could be so powerful and affirming of our lives in this universe with all of its gorgeousness and struggle, the magic of our choices, the spells they cast upon our lives. Here's Jex Blackmore. Well, thank you so much for being on Your Magic. I'm really, really psyched to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Were you raised with any sort of like spiritual practice or beliefs or anything like that? And if you were, how, you know, how did that impact you? My family was fairly agnostic. There was, you know, some conversation about the importance of going to church. And my family were were members of a Lutheran church, but in part that was because my, my father owned a funeral home. So it was like good for business to go to church, but not so much because of some system of belief. Um, But there was the idea of a, a presence of religion being an important part of uh, our society, but my grandmothers have heavily believes in spirituality and witchcraft in particular. And so she often went to, um, psychic fairs and had psychic friends and, uh, gave me her, her mother's, so my great, my great grandmother's, um, Ouija board. And like, so there was a lot of that kind of stuff going around a very like strong feminine, uh, spiritual energy but um it was mostly something we kind of just like kept uh under wraps and kind of you know didn't talk about or practice too much in the open oh god i love secret witchy grandmothers so i first learned about you from watching and your work from watching the um the hill satan documentary and so i'm wondering how did you find your way i know that you're not any longer with the satanic temple and i totally want to talk about that but i'm curious as how you found your way to that organization and to that practice? Sure. Yeah. So I uh, experimented in my, in high school with religion in terms of, in middle school, I was really interested in it. And I would go to the library and check out books on Buddhism and Hinduism and Wicca and like everything I could get my hands on. And I decided to try a very, like, I, I was very turned on by like this, like radical Christian church where they were like skateboarding. It was like a very nineties, like embarrassing nineties thing. But I was having a lot of at-home trauma that I don't really want to go into, but it, it, I found like that the church provided what felt like at the time to me, like a very safe space. And through several years of kind of participating in that church, realized that it was just like very manipulative and harmful um, in part because it's not unique to this particular church, but because the teachings of Christianity are that you should feel shame and guilt for your humanity, essentially, that if you're, you should be um, ashamed of your sexuality or the, uh, you know, lustful feelings. And I was, you know, a pre- the teenage girl. So I was like, feeling all sorts of shame, and then realized that that seemed just like, crazy to me that you, like the entire foundation of this religion was based on the idea that we are 
inherently flawed and damaged and needed to beg for forgiveness from like this man god and i realized that the, the ways that they were describing people under like the demonic influence the, the the devil's uh influence were people that i identified with much stronger people who did have lustful feelings and had uh feelings of greed and uh passion and um and curiosity and and intellect and, and we're and questioning. And, and those were the things that I was like, hold up, like this devil figure is one that um, really seems to resonate with me. And then I kind of, you know, from there was able to kind of self-educate uh, and, and understand the, the history of the church and kind of how this oppressive theology came to be. And so I found myself identifying as a Satanist um, independently from that experience. And then I was really interested in rebellious thinkers, people who kind of challenged the status quo throughout history, kind of in tandem with this realization that we have this practice of othering or demonizing people who um, rebel against the state and the church as they kind of have always worked in tandem with one another. So I was writing a blog called Raw Pussy, and it was kind of just an exploration of these thinkers throughout time. And that's when the Satanic Temple did their first kind of action, which was just a lecture at Harvard. And I had just moved away from Boston. So I had a lot of friends there. And so I asked if I could just meet up and just talk so I could do some writing for the blog and found out that we shared a lot of similar ideas about the role of the devil and the, you know, Satan, Satanism as a cultural as a powerful cultural metaphor and tool in a society that was leaning and is still leaning very theocratic towards, towards the Christian church. So I kind of just started advising and then started working a lot more intensely with them and then kind of became a spokesperson. And, and the whole thing just took off extremely fast. I really loved um, in the documentary seeing the the work you're doing and the performances that you were doing. And I wanted to ask you about how how art and performance feeds into your practice. I think that that religion in general um, is undeniably performative, that there is an element of of art and ritual expression that is deeply tied to art and whether that's theater or the visual arts, music, um, all of those things are, I think, like a not only a defining feature, but also like critically important to understanding and communicating big ideas. And I think that that's also something that we see in politics. Uh, politics is extremely performative. So you have like religion and you have politics kind of taking on this role of, of, performer. And then you also have kind of the power of performance on its own and art on its own as a, as, as a medium that allows us to communicate really complicated ideas, really nuanced ideas and concepts in a way that kind of removes certain barriers of language, removes certain barriers of cultural backgrounds, and is, uh, is a way of communicating across a much more broader spe spectrum in, in a really short I'm not sure it's not the word I'm like, but in an uncomplicated way, actually. Uh, so I had been studying performance art and, and things like that, um, you know, in my, in my, through my education, in my career, and had a ritual practice of my own that was, you know, more private or with a, with a small group of people, and started to realize that we were able to 
be subversive and powerful in our own ways by kind of mirroring and challenging the performative nature of politics and mainstream religion by um, occupying the same spaces that they were occupying, but on our own terms. Yeah, it seemed very effective. It seems like you got a pretty, like, uh, you got a big response. Did you expect that? I No, I don't think that we ever expected to have as big of a response as we have Part of it is, yes, we, we want to get some type of reaction. It's, it's hard to know how much. But I think that um, we are always, you know, we don't just like deploy performative actions just for the sake of doing it. We, it's a, you know, we're doing it with a, a goal in mind. And, and that goal can shift, but it is often to create a spectacle in a place where there's already a spectacle being created. So being able to, again, like occupy the space of, let's just say, anti-choice protesters outside of a clinic, but knowing like we're not doing that to convince them of anything. But what we are doing is trying to recontextualize what they're doing as like absurdist uh, behavior, absurdist theater. And then by documenting it, so by either calling the press to show up or documenting ourselves and then releasing a video to the press, we're able then to reach, you know, millions of people through the internet or through the TV or through movies. And, and in that process, we are uh, creating that context um, and, and being able to share the message that we are trying to communicate so much more broadly. And I think the success in that has been just, you know, um, different conversations that are happening about like, well, what does religion in the public space mean? Or is it normal and okay that children are holding like big signs of mangled fetuses? Like, uh, is this like, okay, are we, is this acceptable? And what does this actually mean? And why is that acceptable? But like a satanic invocation or whatever is not acceptable. Um, and, and just kind of having those conversations happen and also coming from the per- coming from the point of view of that we're just like a group of people that have no resources essentially like we're not funded we were just like activists and um and and performers and artists um just trying to do everything that we can within our power and within our resources to communicate really important ideas that often don't have a platform. When you're going off, um, I know that lately I've been trying to get you on this podcast and you've been so busy because of all the horrible things that are happening in our country with abortion rights. And you've been like having to go off and do um, actions and work. What what are you doing right now? Yeah. So I, you know, have shifted. Well, it's not, not that I've shifted. I feel like there was so much of the last, you know, five to eight years where I have been doing work that's like, pay attention to the religious right and see what they're doing and see how they're attacking um, our clinics and the the messaging. And there's people out here who are causing harm. And part of me feels a little bit frustrated because I feel like there was, it was just really hard to get people to actually like care enough to realize the real risk. And I don't think that that is like any one person's fault. And I don't think anyone should feel guilty about that. And to me, like that ship has sailed. I'm not putting my energy there. Uh, instead I'm putting my energy in a space that is, um, very much rooted in community care and expanding abortion access, regardless of what the state says, regardless of what our local government says, um, I know that there are people who are doing amazing work in the courts, working to kind of codify abortion uh, into law, abortion access into law. But from my perspective, like every minute that passes, there's just somebody who needs an abortion and maybe can't get it, probably can't get it legally at least. And so trying to find methods of both getting people the resources that they need directly and 
in the information that they need to create networks of care so that people are having safe, illegal abortions. Um, so that has involved guerrilla information campaigns to the form of like taking over billboards and wheat pasting and leaving materials everywhere we possibly can, fundraising to support independent clinics that are still operating in certain places uh, because those are going to and have already been completely like overwhelmed with new patients. So making sure that we're supporting those people and really just kind of try connect people to those those network and, and like educating people on kind of like how can we care for people going through an abortion and how can we like know what's available to us for free? For example, there's like free legal advice, free medical advice. Nobody should be out there hurting themselves if they want to end an abortion. We have the resources available, but we need to kind of make sure people know that those exist. So I'm very interested in this community care idea and I'm very interested in really connecting locally. Um, to the people in my own neighborhood, in my own community. And I really think that that is critical care and that everybody should be doing that as a foundational uh, action when it comes to abortion care right now. Yeah, I totally agree with you. What would Do you have any suggestions or tips for folks who are feeling really inspired by the stuff that you're saying and are in agreement, but are just like, just don't know what the fuck to do? Like how to take these first steps to, you know, especially folks who are living in, I mean, I'm in California. And so- it's it's like hard to think about how to reach out and help folks that are in like Alabama or Arkansas, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that there, if you can spread information about abortion pills and their, you know, Plan C is, Plan C.org is a great resource. And, or, you know, if you go to Shout Your Abortion, their website has like everything you could possibly need. But literally just telling as many people as possible that abortion pills exist. They're not plan B, that they are safe and effective, that you can get them through the mail, even if it's illegal, is just so important because like, I just think we underestimate maybe how many people don't know that this resource exists. So that is huge. If you have money and resources, you can also throw it towards abortion funds that will help people be able to afford medication if it's something that they can't get on a sliding scale. That is critical. Um, and knowing like what resources exist so that if you do hear of somebody who is, I don't know, in a state like Texas and they don't know what to do or where to go, that you do have, you know, you have the education information available to share with them. Um, I think that that is extremely important. I mean, I think it literally makes the difference between someone's life and death. Um, and that's something I've been talking a lot about because I hear people, or I see people using like the hanger imagery and like, and I don't want to shame anybody for kind of, um, using imagery that has been such a critical part of understanding the harm that the lack of abortion access can cause, but it is not like the sixties anymore. And we aren't needing to do those things. We don't need to harm ourselves anymore. We have things that are so much safer. And I want to encourage people to, instead of just yeah. Well, I mean, like if you're a person that lives in like rural um, Montana or something like that is a place I used to live. Uh, and all you are hearing is that abortion is going away and it's maybe not something that you ever think about or care about, but all of a sudden you find yourself pregnant. And the only thing that you know is that you don't have access to abortion and that you are now forced to hurt yourself or you're going to have to go and use a coat hanger if you want to end your pregnancy, because that's all you've heard, then you might actually go and do that. And people have been doing that. So I just like, and, and so I think like we should be focusing on 
the way that we actually are empowered to take our own care into our own hands and how we will save ourselves regardless of what the government decides to do or who is elected. Like we don't actually need them. Of course, we still, I don't want anyone to think that I'm not saying we don't need clinics, we don't need medical care, we don't need it legalized. Of course we need it. But in that absence of all those things, we can still take care of ourselves. And I want people to feel that kind of power rather than feeling defeated. I feel like, you know, the the religious right has really hijacked this sort of like um, spiritual high ground in in their fight to to um, take away abortion rights. And it just seems like people who are who practice witchcraft or who are interested in the occult or, you know, and, and you know, not limited to that by any means. I know that there's like a lawsuit happening um, on behalf of like Jewish communities, you know, to access abortion. But I feel like we have this ability to really think about um, abortion almost as a sacrament, right? Or to bring ritual to it, that it is like, it's incredibly important moment in someone's life where you're at this sort of crossroads and you're making a choice and you might have whatever feelings you have about that choice. But um, it's a really loaded moment, it, at the very least culturally, even if you, you know what I mean? Even if you're just sort of like, I actually, it's just a little bundle of cells and it's it's not that big of a deal. The culture makes it such a big deal that like, I feel like we have this ability to bring um, almost like a sacredness or a ritual aspect to abortion. What do you think of that? Yeah, I love that idea. I in the, uh, uh, I've been very public about my own abortions in part because I wanted to kind of fight the stigma. And one of the the, the biggest takeaway from the, the first time I went through the experience was that I I personally didn't feel a sense of like shame or guilt or I didn't struggle with it, but I was so frustrated by kind of the societal weights around um, the procedure that I couldn't like freely talk about it, you know, like when I was nauseous because I had morning sickness, I couldn't tell anyone because, you know, I, I couldn't be like, oh, I'm just like waiting to get an abortion because it was like too uncomfortable and you didn't know how people would react. So I had to like hide it and that was uncomfortable. So yeah, I think that there's like just such a, a weight around the experience, whether or not like all personal decisions aside. Um, and I think that it, there is, I mean, the state itself has made it somewhat of like a, a ritual experience because you have to go in and talk with somebody and review like a video and then sign a consent form. And like, it's this whole thing. Um, so yeah, I think that there's absolutely room to say that this is something that is sacred and um, and is a sacred practice that's been around for thousands of years as well. And personal, any, and, you know, in the same way that a birth is or a death is or... Um, any kind of, of of these like transitional moments in life. Um, and I think that, you know, there is this idea that um, the Christian faith is like the only religion that matters. And there's like a true Christian supremacy that's happening. And you can see it really kind of flourishing currently in, in America because this idea of religious liberty seems to exclusively apply to Christians, uh, which is bullshit. Um, and so I think that it's important to challenge those things to say, of course, you know, if you're going to have um, an expression of, of Christian faith at the local high school, uh, you know, you have to have an expression of satanic faith or whatever else. Um, and if you don't like it, then you are actually um, not interested in religious freedom. You're, you're interested in Christian supremacy. Uh, and so I think that we, I mean, legally, 
because of my experience with the Satanic Temple kind of taking a similar claim to religious exemptions for abortion, I think it's a really challenging pathway legally. I've talked to a lot of uh, experts on this. And um, although it might seem Wait, will you will you just yeah. back up a tiny bit and explain what the, what what this what this sure. um, what you're talking about that there you were that you were looking that the was the satan, the satanic temple was looking into religious exemption for abortion? Yes. So essentially, you know, their religious exemptions exist for a number of of things. There's it's been litigated um, many different times on many different levels, where whether it's from being exempted from having to get vaccinated or your children vaccinated exempted from having to receive um, sexual education materials at school, uh, um, exempted from having to shave if you're in prison or because of, you know, that's part of your religious faith or being able to partake in particular psychoactive drugs um, without penalty because that's part of your faith. So all of those things are in existence and, and the freedom of religion and those protections primarily are in existence to protect minority faith. So that was the idea to protect the minority faith from being, you know, degraded and, and erased by the majority. Uh, and so um, there is this, and, and so then you started to see that kind of shift and that the majority faith, the Christian faith, um, really started to utilize and take advantage of those protections. Um, when you, uh, you know, there's the people who don't want to make cakes for gay couples um, or the person who doesn't want to certify the marriage certificate for the, the gay couple, a lot of anti-gay um, religious beliefs. And then you had Hobby Lobby, which was um, the the main, like the big craft store um, chain that didn't want to have um, their mandated health insurance policies for their employees to include abortion access because to them or contraception, actually, you know, they were like, Oh, we, we can't possibly, our money can't possibly go to pay for what may cause some type of abortion because that violates our businesses, religious beliefs, which is just so absurd when you (laughs) really break it down. Like it's like, number one, how does a business have a religious belief? Number two, Birth control isn't an abort efficient, but apparently because they believe that it's an abort efficient, that, that that's um, valid. And so kind of using those same ideas, um, the Satanic Temple's position was, well, we believe that it is our religious right to be able to obtain an abortion on demand without apology, not to have to receive state mandated um, coercive information through the form of informed consent. Um, and that we should be exempted on the basis of our religion from receiving those things and kind of having to jump through those hoops. Um, and so, and there are other people from that have been thinking about these things as well. As you mentioned, there was Jewish leaders that are trying the same kind of similar kind of challenge because the Jewish faith says, you know, that women's life should, the mother's life should always be protected first. And um, they're much more flexible in that that regard. So I think that it has real teeth. It's just, it's very complicated. I mean, you have to prove that you have an injury, a legal injury of some kind that you, they are trying to make it. So like, if you've already had the abortion, then you actually like, can't claim that you've been injured and you can't get an exemption, but like, so it like takes months to go through the court system, but you, if you want an abortion, you can actually wait months. So like, it's a very complicated and very hard. Um, and so there is, you know, but I think that there's, there's, reason to try it. But in the meantime, 
Um, again, as I was saying, like, we have to also just make sure that we can get abortions. <laughs> right. There's so much stuff that needs to happen. And like immediate, there's like urgent, immediate stuff happening. And then I, I do really love, I love that there are, you know, like spiritual organizations um, that are pursuing this line for sure. Cool. Well, God, this was so great. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. I know you're so busy and you're doing such cool work. Um, where is there, um, where can folks find you who want to like, just like know more about you and the stuff that you're doing and support it? Yeah, I'm on all social media platforms just with my name. So it's Jex Blackmore, J-E-X. And uh, I also have a website where I post, um, you know, and have a record of things I've written, interviews I've given, video clips, art projects and upcoming events and past events. So that's where folks can go if they want to learn more. Thanks, Jex Blackmore, for taking time out of your work to talk about it on Your Magic. We hope this episode got you revved up to do whatever little thing you can do in your world to aid in the fight for safe, legal abortions and the fight for true spiritual freedom. The thought of a forced pregnancy is so truly chilling and dystopic to me. It's like a freaking horror movie and it's happening. Anything anyone can do to help out is really important. Thanks for tuning in to Your Magic. You can support us, plus get access to a whole bunch of bonus content at patreon.com backslash thisisyourmagic. Thanks to those who support us. Every dollar makes our work possible. You can also support us by buying one of our Air, Earth, Water, or Fire t-shirts or logo hats. Go to thisisyourmagic.com backslash shop to see all our merch. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at thisisyourmagic and subscribe to our newsletter at thisisyourmagic.com. Join us on Discord at the link in the show notes. You can rate us and subscribe right here on Spotify. Do what you need to do to never miss an episode. You can email us at hello at thisisyourmagic.com. We would love to hear from you. Your Magic is Ben Cooley, me, Michelle T, Molly Elizalde, Tony Gannon, Vera Blossom, and our production intern, Kirsten Osai-Bonzu. And our original theme music is by John Kimbrough. Thanks for listening. <laughs>